0: Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown
1: and Eric Rieger. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health Family. I'm your host, Eric Rieger, joined by this awesome guy, Dr. Kenneth Brown. What's up, Ken?
2: What is going on, Eric? How are you doing? We are on episode 83 today.
1: We are on episode 83, and we are discussing a couple of different uh, aspects of the microbiome specifically. One, created in a lab, and one created in an infant, right?
2: Yeah, so this is exciting. We talk a lot about the, bi- about the microbiome, but now we've got two recent studies that just came out on how we can start studying it better because something that I've always said, I have a lot of patients that will come in and they'll say, this is my stool analysis, this big, long thing. I'm like, okay, we can see the DNA in it, we can do PCR testing in it, and this is what you have, we don't know how to manipulate it. Now we're starting to look, one, a synthetic microbiome just recently uh, published out of Stanford Mm. in the journal Cell that we're gonna cover. And then the other one is, Well, wait a minute, what happens with babies? And more specifically, if a baby's exposed to glyphosate or Roundup, and you're like, why would I give my baby Roundup? And you're like, well, you probably don't realize it, but you are giving your baby Roundup, if they're even just eating any type of food where they had sprayed it. So it's two very, very relevant things, so. Yeah, I think
1: it's totally relevant. Hey, but before we get into relevant scientific (laughs) topics, you took a trip this last weekend with your son, Lucas, down to Austin. What did y'all do there while you take a sip of A beverage and i don't give you time to swallow
2: that's all right um (laughs) yeah so last weekend was the ut alabama game this was lucas's first college football game oh yeah it was a little over the top you know sports center was there and everything and it was just incredible and the game was amazing and austin such a cool city but it was it's pretty funny because i'm like i don't think that you can replicate what happened that day where it was a one-point game and everybody at ut thought that they had won and then Alabama marches back down and kicks a field goal.
1: I was amazed that Texas had a football team. I forgot that they had one.
2: So. <laughs> Spoken like a nice uh, Texas Techer right there.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that y'all had a great time. I know that Lucas uh, had... I mean, recruiting trips like that are always great. I know that he was there to help entertain other tennis players who were coming down to visit. I think it's just so cool that he gets to experience you know, college as he's getting ready to enter co- uh, college from that aspect. That's really cool.
2: Yeah, definitely. And then afterwards... Uh, Austin is so cool. You know, we just walked around, went to all these different places, and I just love the idea of, you know, showing my son. is like, this is where you're going to have fun, and this is where you will have more fun.
1: I have a feeling that when you go back, I was like, you know what, Dad? Fun moved over here, and you should check this out.
2: (laughs) Yeah, probably. Um, What's going on with you? What did you do this past?
1: Uh, Let's see here. Obviously, check in with the boys. They're doing great. Uh, I don't want to gloss over them. Uh, I know that you and I always love checking in on how our our kids are doing, and uh, they're both doing fine, but... You and I have another group meeting coming up, I believe here in about a month and a half where our, our healthcare entrepreneur group, uh, that we've referenced on the show before BBW, um, created by Hollis and Lovich, is coming down to Texas. And so this group is often brought together if by nothing else, by an appreciation of art and music specifically. And I just started thinking, um especially uh, Hollis, Lovitch, and Ferg, they all seem to really be driven by finding and exploring new music things. and Oh, and Cynthia as well. Uh, really the whole team. But they, they all like thinking and finding new music and kind of sharing it with other people. So I began to wonder... You know, could we put together a couple different names and see if it would be something that would be of interest of Texas artists? Oh yeah,
2: because this one's going to be the Texas hoedown,
1: right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, you you immediately think of country theme, and I'm like, well, who couldn't look up George Strait? I mean, that's it's really easy to do, and of course, George is a great singer. But is that really finding something new? So I started thinking maybe we should look at some of the deeper singer songwriters like, you know, Terry Allen or guy Clark or James McMurtry, you know, stuff like that. And just see if there was, would be songs that they would be interested in.
2: James McMurtry. Is he he the bingo
1: guy? Are you referencing Choctaw bingo? That's it. Choctaw bingo. I've heard that. Yes, that is. It's probably, it's probably his most famous song. It's almost probably 20 years old at this point. So James McMurtry is the son of Larry McMurtry. Uh, who wrote The Last Picture Show. and But James has been a music artist for a long time. But yeah, Choctaw Bingo. You know your
2: Texas artists. Some of them. Do you know it well enough to at least give me a
1: little remembrance of how that song goes? Of Choctaw Bingo? Yeah. It's too bad that we can't play it on here. You want me to say, you want me to sing it?
2: I want to hear, that's it. I want you to sing it. This this intro is you singing Choctaw Bingo. That was a really shitty question on my own
1: behalf. (laughs) Um, okay. Choctaw Bingo.
2: Um, All right. So let me go ahead and introduce. Uh, uh, now, <laughs> next on stage, wasting. we have the singer-songwriter, Eric Rieger.
1: Not a singer, nor a songwriter. So <laughs> uh, so Choctaw Bingo, I think it starts off, uh, strap them kids and give them a little bit of vodka and a cherry Coke. We're going to Oklahoma to the family reunion for the... First time in years, it's up at Uncle Slayton. You know he's getting on in years. Oh,
2: awesome! Yeah.
1: So obviously, it sounds like a real good family tale. <laughs> 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 but uh, he's he's kind of he sings lots of uh, kind of uh, rock country. Uh, well, I shouldn't say rock country. It's just it's kind of folk country. But um, he's telling a story. That particular song is a story probably about being familiar with the. Red River, Southern Oklahoma area more than anything. And maybe a little bit of Western Arkansas. Anyway, kinda cool.
2: <laughs> Sounds like it's, if you're gonna give your kids vodka and cherry Coke, it's, it's just gonna keep getting better. If it's an can, eight minute song.
1: Oh, and for Love It, she's actually a reference to, to Kansas too. So it kind of encompasses everything in <laughs> the little area. But yeah, good stuff.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. I cannot wait so you can sing that in front of everybody. <laughs> at the Texas Hoedown. Wanna uh, talk a little science, microbiome now?
1: Yeah, we should probably do that.
2: Okay. <laughs> Uh, so the first article that we're talking about just came out and the title is Researchers Just Built a Synthetic Human Gut Microbiome. Now they can test it like never before. When you and I were reading this, you did point something out that, that I thought was interesting when they, um, this is a uh, a press release. And yeah. so when they started talking about it, where was it that you saw? Oh yeah, the hyperbole?
1: Well, I'm always skeptical when there's something that's new and when someone writes things like most complex latest technology ever yeah i mean you're right the the hyperbole kind of throws off not necessarily that they've created something great but the validity of saying that it's you know at the pinnacle of of all information is is going to i don't know i think it's great that they've created it but i would i would like to see how it actually performs and i think anything that's synthetic that you don't have to hurt someone or test on someone and you Mm -hmm. get back some, some real results. You know, that's what AI does with, uh, you know, different types of, you know, new medications that come out or, or how how they, they create computer models. But even at that level, sometimes they don't predict side effects. They don't predict the fallout. So I'm sure this is a great step. I don't want to undersell that it's a great step, but I just don't know if it's going to be Always build is the most complex (laughs) amazing thing. Well, it is
2: interesting because this is this came out of a university press release, so the people at Stanford were just like this is the most complex. What's really impressive is it got published in the journal Cell, which is a really tier one journal. journal. So basically the microbiome. We have the microbiome, we've done multiple episodes on it, but the one thing we can say about it is how complex it is. Definitely. In, In fact, it's so complex that it's really difficult to study. And so the understanding of each individual component is even super difficult. So what these researchers did is they said, well, let's try assembling a synthetic microbiome. And what they did is they went out to grow each constituent type of bacteria so Mm -hmm. they could have this mix. And by looking at this, what they did is they went to the Human Microbiome Project, HMP is what it's called, and what they realized is, is that, okay, this is, this is the group of bacteria that generally um, is the makeup of most people's microbiomes. So we know this is kind of the ballpark where we need mm-hmm. to be. And so they found 100 bacterial species that they said, okay, we have to make sure that we make 100 different silos for this type of bacteria. And then they realized that there was four more that based on looking at everything that they should do. So they started out with the human community one hcom one which is a combination of a hundred and four types of different bacteria that reside in most of us through the human um microbiome
1: project does that make sense it does make sense um you go ahead I'll, no that's yeah. it go on well I, uh, describing describing the the way that they're they're piecing it together i think is brilliant i think this this is how you have to Start, but I want to emphasize start because think of the many, many times that we say it's a new discovery to, f- to find a new pathway for a postbiotic to be formed. We're just now learning the key sequences on how polyphenols go in and then become butyrate or, or propionate or whatever the beneficial products happen to be. So I think assuming that it, they even probably have a large or even half of a percentage of how the processes would work. In the microbiome in a synthetic sense is probably a leap just because you don't know how they all fully integrate
2: yet. A hundred percent. And something that I want to clarify here, they keep referring it to the microbiome. The microbiome is the genes. Exactly. Interacting with our genes. They should refer to this as testing the microbiota.
1: Biota is exactly right. I, I, I totally agree.
2: Yeah. So so now they have this thing. They have this, what they believe is the equivalent of a human uh, microbiome, and they're calling this Mm HCOM1. So then they had to say, okay, well, what does this do? Will this even survive? What happens here? So they took HCOM1 and they inserted it into mice that had been specifically bred not to have a microbiome. So they they did not have their own microbiome. These were sterilized mice. And what they found is that 98% of this HCOM1 was able to colonize the mice, and it coexisted with the mice, and it appeared that it wasn't hurting the mice. So that was step one. And then to strengthen the microbiome, the researchers then introduced fecal samples into the mix. So not the mix of mice, but I think the mix of just everything there. So they have this 104 and then they added, well, let's just do human samples so that we know that if there's anything else in there that it's more likely that it'll do this. It's a slurry. It's a slurry. It's just a big giant milkshake, disgusting milkshake. All right, and so um, surprisingly, The mice did great after they added the the exact human ones also. And so then they were able to figure out that with the human ones, they found 20 more species that they wanted to use. So ultimately, along came along the HCOM-2, which had 119 species Mm -hmm. and it actually held its ground and the mice did really well. And so the theory now is, okay, we have what we think is the human microbiota combination. How? What can we do with it? And they're excited because now it's like testing. Do they, what happens when you add certain other bacteria? What happens when you have uh, drugs? What does it do to the microbiome? At least it kind of looks like that could be something.
1: So I find that to be really, really interesting. Here's where I begin to wonder who controls the data ultimately that comes out of a synthetic test. And where I'm going with that is Let's say, because I think this will tie in nicely to the follow-up article that we're going to talk about today. Let's say that we have a research institution that also has maybe a food development arm or something else like that within that same school or university. And there's a grant that's coming from the commercial side, right? And you've got someone who wants to test is certain food additives or, uh, certain emollients or different types of binders that go into commercially produced food happen to have not so great effects on the microbiome and how it interacts systemically with someone's body or even, even locally, what's to prevent someone from taking a synthetic setup. And then not, you don't want to say that they would just just uh i don't know how you put it just squash relevant data but not necessarily report something that might not be so beneficial for the overall perspective there i think that then when whenever you turn over everything to a synthetic testing only i'm saying only you kind of you kind of give up the ability to actually test for an altruistic reason versus well let's program something to look like this you could easily have cells that don't necessarily react poorly to A GMO substance, Mm -hmm. you know, or or an emulsifier. So, but that, that may not be real life thinking that you've decoded a human, you know, uh, a human microbiota.
2: Yeah. I mean, I could see what you're saying, like a food science person says, we need to get something out there that (laughs) the artificial sweetener sucralose that people are saying alters the thing we need to come out with a new study that says, no, why don't we call that lab at Stanford and run this through their synthetic gut?
1: Exactly. Now, in in reverse, I think a really beneficial thing to that could be you could then, uh, because one thing you can't do, you can't say that this particular microbiome or microbiota is the same for all humans, but and you wouldn't want that being controlled. However, in reverse, what you could do is create millions of them based on an environmental measure. And you could say the people in, I don't care, downtown Seattle may express this type of microbiome and biota versus these people in Florida, versus Istanbul, what have you, and then create these synthetic run-throughs and then basically test before you say that uh, a drug or a food should be used by everybody. You could say, well, actually using what we think mm, that's
2: yeah that would be, really, that yeah, be because, really beneficial yeah because this is this is step one if it's hcom two yeah then ultimately it could be like okay where are you at where are you here you can okay, always what create part-
1: models by where they live
2: and what their environment is and the foods that they eat you know that's an interesting thing because like let's let's look at a cancer drug for instance like they actually specifically reference that like what what would a cancer drug do because a lot of times it's the metabolite of the drug that is actually the beneficial thing for instance yep so if a study comes out and it says, "Well, this cancer drug was um, performed fantastic." In let's just say you had better results in different parts of the country, mm-hmm. you could look at that and be like, "What is the microbiota composition in this area where the that particular drug outperformed by twenty percent?" We could help that drug improve its efficacy by making sure that the microbiota combination is very similar to that population group. Mm-hmm
1: i number one i completely agree with that because anybody who's compromised then they're already going to experience a different they're just going to have a different experience and reaction to foods as well as drugs i would also think that anybody who is compromised or has diabetes or uh, recent uh, exposure to antibiotics you could literally create different uh synthetic microbiome to find out well hey this is why you don't want to continue to eat this type of food while you're taking this type of therapy because you're not going to get the benefit mm-hmm. like this. So I'm really hoping that these types of discoveries are taken in that direction versus the other. And quite honestly, I think it'll go both ways. I think there's going to be some of those who will probably do things for the commercial benefit. and There will be those who are quite altruistic and, and trying to find the right thing. So you yeah. just kind of have to filter everything. Yeah. You always have to filter And credit to Tom Finney, viewer Tom Finney, RN, for sending us this article, because uh, this was a pretty fascinating
2: read. Yes, yeah, super. Thanks, Tom. Super cool. And so, yeah, we appreciate whenever any of the listeners send anything in and um, shout out there. So this kind of bleeds right into the next article which just came out. Um, It was published in the journal Gut Microbiome. Mm -hmm. The title is Alterations in Infant Gut Microbiome Composition and Metabolism After Exposure to Glyphosate Glyphosate and Roundup and or Adding a Spore-Based Biotic. Long, long, long title, but basically um, it's really interesting because this is the first time that I've come across anything where the effects of glyphosate and Roundup, and I'm going to distinguish why there's, they're, they're actually talking about two different things, yeah. on the human microbiota. Uh, like one thing I was uh, not aware of is that they were looking specifically at glyphosate because they saw that the other commercial variants of glyphosate that we just kind of put it all together. Like we always talk about it as, oh, glyphosate. It's sprayed on the crops, but very different between these different types of brands that use glyphosate mm-hmm. because they add surfactants, they add different things, they add other things in it, and so they wanted to see well, straight glyphosate or the commercially available things. Okay. In other words, not just the one molecule to see what it would actually do. So I thought that was super super cool. Okay. And smarter than to do that. Um, glyphosate. We everybody's heard it. Basically, all it is is a broad spectrum herbicide and there's lots of these other co-formulations that add different things. So keep that in mind. Uh, basically what it does is it has the ability to block a certain enzymatic pathway in the shikimate pathway. So shikimate is the thing that they talk about. And what this does is this blocks certain amino acids from building. So you can develop this weed killer, roundup weed killer, because it It uh, blocks an enzymatic pathway in the shikimate pathway of these weeds. Why is that relevant? Well, because the FDA said, well, we don't have a shikimate pathway. So you can take glyphosate all day long, ingest it, and nothing ever happens to it. We've subsequently learned that actually bacteria can have a shikimate pathway. So wait a minute. We're already saying that the uh, glyphosate or Roundup isn't really being absorbed very well. So you're just going to send it down to the microbiome that has the ability to do the same thing, which then converts and what kind of effects does that have? And that's pretty much what this article is all about. It's like, wait a minute, what happens when this actually goes down? And so this is the first time it's ever been looked at in human microbiota. They've done a bunch of different studies on mice and rats and things like that, but this is the first time I've ever come across this in humans and it's really relevant because evidence is now showing that infants, we kind of disrupt their own microbiome a lot, like right off the bat, like cesarean sections, given antibiotics, given antibiotics to the mom, immediately swabbing the nose with antimicrobial ointments and things like that. And it's been shown that in the early infancy stage, if the microbiome gets disrupted and continues down that path, Mm -hmm. like let's say continues down a lifestyle, then that really has been shown to correlate with a bunch of diseases like um, obesity, diabetes, and other autoimmune things. But it could be that your lot in life, if not done right, could be set forward with your infant microbiome and then just continuing to grow in a non-productive way.
1: I totally agree. I mean, I think that we're far more susceptible to certain things that may not seem like an immediate threat The more that you study, sometimes it just doesn't take a lot of a substance to put some type of cascade or a chain of motion or events into action. And so um, let's touch on something really quickly, though. So glyphosate and or Roundup is a is been talked about quite a bit because of of, uh, GMOs. Mm -hmm. So for something to be GMO, usually in reference to glyphosate, it's because it's a plant that won't react or be killed off by glyphosate so there's lots of different food crops that aren't affected by being sprayed by glyphosate so that's an immediate concern but another one is a large textile group and that would be cotton so then you begin mm, to wonder about interesting. you said swabbing and it made me immediately wonder you know an infant has tiny little holes you know tiny little nares for the you know around the nose or the ear is it possible that the cotton on the end of a swab Mites. I mean, and I don't know. I'm not yeah. purporting that there is a study about that, but sometimes you just don't know what it takes to breach, you know, the blood supply to get down to the uh the microbiome and then disrupt the bacteria that are there that are trying to grow and establish a colony so that this the small little baby human can begin to grow. And another thing that wasn't touched on uh quite yet in their list of immediate threats is although it may not be immediate, especially if uh If a baby's breastfed, but what happens when they move over to formula formula, uh, if it happens to not be a non GMO certified, what have you might have different compounds in there, which are also harvested from a GMO crop, which was heavily sprayed by glyphosate or some other type of herbicide.
2: Yeah, to take it one step further, you're over there opening up your little Gerber bottle of baby food yeah, and it's all just mashed up berries mm-hmm. and it, you just be spooning low levels of glyphosate in the whole time. yeah. And so that's what these guys wanna see. Okay, what is gonna happen with the microbiome? So this is the study design. What they did is they got one fecal sample from one donor that had not taken antibiotics Mm -hmm. uh, was essentially normal in every other way and was still being breastfed. So in other words, they were trying to find a very healthy ideal baby to test this on. And what they do is they have this proprietary, what they call inoculation system called the Shime, something or other, basically they can incubate and keep the, um, microbiota alive and happy and living in a, in a nice environment by making sure they get the proper nutrients and things like that. And they can do this for a really long extended period of time. Then they looked at what the FDA has recommended as safe amounts of glyphosate. And and so they tallied that by diluting the glyphosate uh, to the point where it ended up being like a thousand milligrams per liter. And then they dosed the fecal, you know, mix Uh with equivalent milligram dosing that a normal infant could be exposed to if it had stuff like this. And so they were trying to make a real world, like we're not throwing in buckets. It's, they're trying to make it very real world. Yeah, sure. So just, you know, so keep that in mind. And then what they did is they, after they did this, then they put it in with a control group so they didn't do anything. They did it with the glyphosate and then they did it with Roundup. So we've got three different arms to this study, and then they looked at the microbiome composition, the metabolites, Mm -hmm. the pH, and specifically looking at the short chain fatty acids and things like that. Okay, So that's what, that's what they ended up doing. Okay. So do you follow me so far? I know that's.
1: Well, it sounds like they tried to make it as as realistic as possible and isolating those that wouldn't have any other type of influence. We're strictly trying to see what exposure would do. Correct?
2: Yeah. Okay. So you get to the results section, and it was like it should have been like spoiler alert. I mean, you kind of knew it was going to be this way, but anyway. So, <laughs> like, their first sentence is: "In this in vitro technology, which does mimic the entire gastrointestinal tract, it did reveal that glyphosate and Roundup did cause large-scale disturbances in yes. the activity of the gut microbiota." Uh, but that's the opening line and you don't stop reading there because this is where it gets kind of fun in this article. There's a lot of nuance to it. And this is where I think we could start explaining. Okay. Because if I'm whatever that company is that has, Oh, uh, Monsanto. Yeah. If I'm Monsanto, I'm going to say, Oh, well look, there wasn't a, a huge shift in the microbiota comp, um, Basically, the whole constitution of it didn't have this massive shift. There was a trend, and that was a little bit surprising to everyone because you thought that the composition would actually change drastically. But this is what's really cool. One of the first things that they noticed is that there was a significant increase in the production of acetate and lactate. Okay, this means that there was a preference for lactate-producing bacteria to grow, and when you have an increase in lactate, then you lower the pH. Which encourages more growth of those type of bacteria and actually the other good bacteria don't like that. No. And so that is super wild because when we sit there and talk about probiotics, for instance. Right. Almost all the commercial probiotics are a lactobacillus or a Bifidobacter. Those are two lactate producing Bacteria. If you remember the study done by Satish Rao a long time ago in SIBO people, where he was able to show that SIBO people that took probiotics actually had increased lactate levels, which resulted in increased anxiety and mood changes and yeah. all that. So we have this evidence that if you have an increased lactate, that it appears that glyphosate and Roundup cause that in your microbiome, it decreases the amount of good bacteria. And then you go, well, I eat like crap. I'm probably getting a lot of glyphosate in my diet. I eat all this processed food. I'll just make sure I take some probiotics to offset it.
1: You're probably just making it worse. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So that was, I thought that was super wild. Um, Now, it has been shown that with people with increased lactate also, that has uh, caused colitis in patients. And also, the lactate can be broken down by... Uh, sulfate-reducing gut bacteria which promotes hydrogen sulfide. Diarrhea. Diarrhea, inflammation, yep. all that stuff. So I think that is like really wild because it kind of got glossed over where it's like, wait a minute, is it so much that there's this huge shift or is it that it's really subtly changing the environment in a way that's not beneficial at all? Um, the other thing that they noticed is when there was more lactate, there was significantly lower levels of the good short chain fatty acids. Right. So lactate goes up, butyrate goes down.
1: None of this really is surprising at the moment that you discuss that lactate production goes up and then you draw the immediate association that pH goes down because that's literally a systemic acidic environment. It's more acidic. And what does inflammation look like from a pH side? It's more acidic. It's what it is. Um, and so effectively, even if it's not an acute, uh, inflammatory process immediately, you're creating that exact environment. So all of the other respondents to inflammation that your body has that are set up by chemoceptors and different things like that that send out uh, you know, the the repair mechanisms, they're triggered sometimes simply because the pH drops. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, you're effectively creating a simulation of inflammation and so the other beneficial aspects of, like you said, butyrate production, et cetera, they are stymied while your body tries to repair itself. And maybe doesn't even quite know why.
2: Mm-hmm. And this is a, a literal example of how glyphosate can cause dysbiosis, meaning a shift in.
1: So and I, I want to highlight another thing, too, that you pointed out that probably Monsanto or whomever, has the proprietary rights or an interest in glyphosate would immediately say, hey, we, yeah, but it wasn't a big shift. it wasn't huge it, it wasn't of course it wasn't. had it been huge then years ago, then the the uh, the immediate uh, aspect of glyphosate being used in all of the different foods would have had an immediate mm-hmm. impact and all of us would have said, what the hell's going on mm-hmm. but instead it's more like, uh, you know the the frog in the cold water when the and the slow heat comes up right, or the chicken in the pan where the, the, it heats up slowly and the chicken just starts to dance not realize it's being cooked. It's the same kind of thing. You're they're taking your eye off the fact that small changes over over time amount to big results because it keeps going in that direction. You don't. It's like it's like being a parent and choosing not to discipline your kid until they're a teenager. That's a horrific idea. If you,
2: if you, if you, well, I want to stop you right there. Okay. I think it's horrific the way that you guys just slowly heat up chickens and watch them dance. But,
1: I, well, it was, it was my, my child raising simulator, Kim. <laughs> much like the simulated microbiome. We just wanted to show the kids right. why, why discipline matters. But early in a kid's life, you establish that you're the parent and they are the child. And everything that you do is through love for the kiddo period. And if you begin there, you, you, everyone makes mistakes, but you, you won't have anything that necessarily pushes you far out of bounds. But if you just simply wait and let something run rampant and you see behavioral things and you don't try to institute a change early. Well, by the time you decide to address that teenager, they've, well, there's a lot of things uh that are probably wrong and irreparable
2: that's true uh okay so the first part was we clearly have a decrease in our good short-chain fatty acids i just want to point
1: out that you just said that's true i like that that's all that you had to add to that but that's good
2: no, i mean that was the uh, that was a fantastic I, mean, I get it i need to discipline my kids more i mean <laughs> i see where you're going with this I, I just don't think i need to you know Address it right here. I mean, if you want, I can call Lucas and Carl up and just just yell at them. I don't think that's what I was getting at. <laughs> <laughs> just like, jeez, what have my kids been doing lately?
1: <laughs> Not it. That's funny as hell. Okay, keep going. All right. So the second thing that they
2: noticed was there was an increase in ammonia.
1: Oh yeah, that's bad.
2: Yeah. Um, so this increase in ammonia, ammonia is produced from protein degradation, or basically when you're breaking down the protein. So there was some sort of direct trauma to these bacteria where the gut microbiota were releasing ammonia. That means that something was being destroyed. Now, what's really fascinating about this is it didn't happen in the glyphosate group or the control group, obviously. Happened in the roundup group. Yeah. And so it was the roundup group that this was very, very obvious. Had to
1: be with the things it was blended with.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. And I mean, they make some speculation, but basically, the roundup group produced a ton of this ammonia. And the reason why we don't like that is ammonia is a perfect environment to um, enhance colon cancer. So it actually helps colon cancer develop
1: who, who, who else also ends up with, with high levels of ammonia. Usually people who are in complete liver failure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not good. It's not a good situation to have. So,
2: yeah, that's, so anyways, ammonia bad. And then the third thing that they noticed is increased levels of long chain fatty acids known as polyunsaturated fatty acids, PUFAs, PUFAs. specifically, because not all PUFAs are bad, but specifically, it's a really long name. So I'm just going to use the, uh, the letters for it's N3 and N6. So. What they notice is that they didn't see this so much in just the glyphosate alone, but Mm -hmm. once again, Roundup group over here, uh, probably maybe from the surfactants in this one. I know that sometimes they'll use vegetable oils as surfactants, Mm -hmm. which are the inflammatory polyunsaturated fatty acids. So it could be there. The the great part is of all these different name brands that use glyphosate, Mm -hmm. they don't have to disclose what the other ingredients or they don't have to disclose the other ingredients because it's a proprietary blend blend of something and so that's they really couldn't find out wh- what it was actually made of but they just assumed that it was
1: this interesting and, and then you know to break down a surfactant uh, usually the I think the raw definition of surfactant is really anything that's going to break water tension right yeah and so essentially they're using chemicals to break water tension and in, in, in a biological process sometimes that's what you need to use as a defense is really what the water tension will do. So using a chemical to do that isn't always the best idea.
2: Yeah, definitely. So all of this um, is really relevant because these, this ratio of N3 to N6 has been associated with significant increase incidence and prevalence of obesity.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So along
2: with those chicken nuggets. Yep and significant inflammatory response. Get out of here. So basically, when Roundup is exposed to the microbiota, the microbiota produces like these shitty poofas that go around and create you to be, that cause you to be fat and have lots of inflammation, which will ultimately lead to aging, cancer, and probably autoimmune disease.
1: Well, but other than that, glyphosate's pretty good for you, right?
2: Other than that, it's really good for you. (laughs) And so this is, this is the part that, you know, Mensanto or whatever would say, oh, but look at this. Yeah. They'll go, they'll go here. So I kind of mentioned this earlier, but finally they did not see this major shift or huge taxonomic changes. You know, we always talk about microbial diversity and then the more narrow it is, the, the more dysbiosis you have. So they didn't see a huge shift. Mind you, it wasn't over a really long period of time. They yeah. were able to incubate out to 57 days. But here's something really wild, they saw a significant decrease and change of the metabolites. Not just the butyrate, not just the propionate, but all kinds of metabolites got way out of whack.
1: I, I don't know, I, I, you and I have stated where we are on this particular compound specifically. And there's already plenty of countries which have completely outlawed its use. For some reason, we're just attached to these foods, and it's almost like a stigma for some folks who begin to deviate away from just buying any food and becoming more health conscious about the foods they select. I mean, I can still remember being completely ignorant to the dangers of glyphosate and wondering why people were going out of their way to choose what they called either organic or non-GMO foods because they cost more. I'm like, well, our grapes are grape. What's yeah? What's the difference? But the we're we're kind of masked from what the danger could potentially be. And it kind of sucks. I don't really, I think they sit on a little bit of science on those who allow this kind of uh, bullshit to keep being put on the food.
2: I think this is the most important thing. And the article itself did not really go very deep into this at all. Like they said, there was hundreds of metabolites that changed significantly. We know if we look at Sylvia's articles when she does the mass spec, yeah. look at all those metabolites. There's right. urolithins. There's they I matter. Mean, they you, matter. You they, need them. they totally matter. One of the things that they did note, uh, they did mention that one of the metabolites was GABA. Oh, okay. Yeah, which works as a neurotransmitter. Right. Which is also one of the biggest things to help with the gut brain access. So if you're not producing GABA there, you're not absorbing it then that's not telling the vagus nerve, hey, we're down here, make sure that you keep the motility going. Got me thinking about all my severe constipated people, things like that. 100%,
1: I'll take it one step further. So let's look at a synthetic comparison. What happens when someone has an amazing level of anxiety? Nobody would bat an eye, especially not these folks who would be on board with uh, Monsanto for using a drug to combat ex- anxiety, but using something like, Versed or Valium or Xanax, all Shit. of those are GABA agonists. You're and so right. What they're doing is they're literally replacing the availability of someone else's GABA to help them calm their nerves. Hyper anxious folks could be severely GABA depleted.
2: Could be severely GABA depleted. And you go, Well, I'll just take more GABA. Weed, but are you actually getting the GABA in there? Does the harsh environment of the intestinal absorption, I'm sure you get some, the best way to get it is through the metabolite that gets directly absorbed in the blood. Right. I mean, you think about this, you nailed it right there with this, with the anxious person ADHD and things like that. Because if you've got an environment that has a high lactate level Mm -hmm. and that lactate is crossing the blood brain barrier Mm -hmm. and creating inflammation, which is what Dr. Rao showed that that's what was going on to create that. And then you have a lack of GABA, which its job is to go to the brain and go, whoa, calm down. Yeah, it's a regulator, sure. It's a regulator. That's a perfect storm to set you up for... ADHD for anxiety
1: for all that. I would imagine that glutamate is probably also affected in there also, and I don't know if it's it got to go up or down, but but I, I feel like that you're losing your reg, your your two main regulatory balance between glutamate and GABA on how you function neurally, and that's that's a problem.
2: Yeah, and so this is this is a great example of how just even just use the. What I like about it is just getting down to the science. Say, oh, don't eat a processed food diet. That might be bad for your brain. No, don't eat something that has significant amounts of process because the glyphosate in it will do this, 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 and this.
1: And we're only talking about glyphosate as far as one of the GMO chemicals. It's not the only one.
2: Yeah, there's bunches out there. All right, and so the final little thing that they did, which I mentioned at the very end of the the title, they said, well, what happens if we throw some spore biotics in there? I love this part. Yeah. So they and of course the people that we work with, they put in um, knowing that you want to use spores so that they'll survive, knowing that when you have this combination, they put it in there, so they use megaspore. Yep. Specifically the five um, blend megaspore. We have megatrio and atrantil pro because those are the three that work best with our polyphenols. With tanase, With tanase, yes. Because those, in Atron Teal Pro, the reason why we're so excited about it and we're seeing such good results is that this basically explains a little bit of it, uh, but essentially the three spore biotics that are in there, which are part of the uh, Megaspore combination that they put in this next section over here, they actually have an enzyme called tannase, which helps to break down the Cabracho into smaller portions to allow other bacteria to break it down. So it's essentially a biohack to get the most out of atrontil.
1: Yeah, it's the keys to the car.
2: Yeah, and that's, and that's just one aspect of it other than decreasing inflammation and all those other things. All right, so what they did show was in a nutshell, after they added the spore-based biotics, all these different things, it mitigated all of them. Mm-hmm. So it decreased the effect of, of glyphosate and Roundup in all those categories. The pH, the lactate, the lack of metabolites. Improved metabolites decreased all that. So it was like this tug of war. It was kind of battling everything that was going on. Um, so that's the really kind of interesting thing. It was directly counteracting some of these different things. Was it doing it directly? On the glyphosate, or was it just helping out was it just helping out your microbiome, going, Here, let's do this, like arming your microbiome, and be like, mm-hmm. We need more of this or did it do something to the glyphosate? They don't know, which maybe needs to be looked at, and I don't know how you would look at that. Oh, I know. You would send glyphosate and megaspore over to Stanford and let them run the little studies on it on their fake microbiome that they now have. I
1: mean, it would be a good start.
2: Yeah. So the takeaway from this, uh, this is the first time that glyphosate and Roundup have been shown to affect human microbiota. Uh, Definitely the Roundup itself seems to cause a couple of the things above and beyond just the glyphosate, but I don't think there's any glyphosate alone products. If you're being exposed to it, they're spraying on crops. I think they all have other constituents with it. So a name brand product is probably going to have a few other things which will disrupt the microbiome. More. I would
1: imagine it had to be mixed with something because the reason they do use surfactants and different things like that is to ease the penetration of this of this active molecule glyphosate. So those vehicles, they, they preserve glyphosate, they give it access to the plant that is trying to penetrate and they help its, basically its activity. So uh, yeah, I would highly doubt that there's just a straight pure glyphosate that would be nearly as effective for someone to spend that kind of money for that kind of w- liquid volume. Yeah, to you're stuff. right,
2: you're right, yeah. yeah. So, And then so, you know, all these bad things are happening. Not only does it appear to be decreasing the amount of good bacteria, at least somewhat, but what it's really doing is not letting your bacteria do what they should. It's not producing the metabolites. It's not producing or offsetting the type of uh, metabolites that would improve the microbial diversity more, the exact opposite is happening. You, you it's know, a pro inflammatory area.
1: You know what's kind of shitty too is like you could have like a really healthy food that otherwise, other than the fact that it's tainted with this synthetic compound, would be really, really healthy for you. But the fact that you're kind of disabling the bacteria in your gut to effectively perform the mechanisms and the actions that it would with the grape or the celery or whatever it is you have to eat. I'm just choosing foods. It doesn't really matter, but whatever the food is that you're eating, it's disabling its ability to effectively do what it needs to do with that food and turn it into the compounds that you need. So it's, you could be conscientiously thinking I'm eating the colorful plates. I'm eating the, the, the good protein along with what, you know, the, the nuts and, and the right kinds of fats. But for some reason I'm stealing, I still feel terrible, or I'm not really getting over the hump, or I've got aches and pains that don't really add up. Why am I tired? Why do I feel anxious suddenly and, and for yeah. such a long period of time? And it's not that you're making bad food choices, you're just probably not making the food choices that are clean and aren't tainted. You don't want to, I mean, you don't, you don't want to take public transportation that's missing a conductor on you know uh or someone who's got a license to drive and understands how to work the vehicle that would be kind of wild if you just hopped on and you know the bus has got someone who's completely wasted and you know barely working the gate next thing you know you're crashing we
2: need terrible. to do some sort of animation of this is what it does to your microbiome and it's just a guy
1: i know i kind of wish i didn't say it on camera already
2: <laughs> um so if you're going to eat stuff like that and you're worried about it, well, you just you need to take a little bit of an insurance policy. I call that insurance policy Atrontil Pro personally.
1: Yeah, I, totally, especially when you're eating out and you don't know where they're sourcing their food, but I I will say that uh strictly organic is is uh perceptively more expensive than 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 non-GMO foods, and non-GMO is usually a little bit more expensive than just those that aren't labeled at all. But If you need to save money, I think that non-GMO is a great, probably area to shop in, whether you're buying processed foods or you're buying, uh, produce, but there's, there's a reason why organic formed foods go through the whole rigmarole of getting, you know, getting that, that indication because it's simply cleaner, it's cleaner for you. And that's. That is what I've moved towards buying over the last uh, several years. And I, I realize it's not always accessible for everyone, but just because poison's more affordable doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean that you want to buy it.
2: Exactly, yeah. Well, that's all that I got for episode 83.
1: Yeah, so be sure and also check out kbmdhealth.com. There you can find our very well, latest uh, release of Autron Teal Pro, which is available only by physicians, but... He is a physician, so check out autrontil Pro. He referenced it. It is autrontil that you've grown to, to know over the last uh, seven years now, and uh, now it features a combination of autrontil and Megatrio, which has those exact spore biotics that Ken referenced earlier, featuring tannase to break down polyphenols and effectively arm your gut with the tools it needs to make the most use out of polyphenols.
2: Yeah, and if you're just catching the tail end of this, I suggest that you definitely go to the beginning. We're trying a new um, segue where Eric puts on a concert before we actually start the podcast. So share and the more that we have interaction with this, send in some song suggestions. We'll do that every single episode. Eric will just do the first few lines of of really anything. So send it in. You can also go to at KBMD Health on Instagram. And direct message me, and we we can uh, make sure that we get your song sung by this guy.
1: I knew while doing that, this that was a terrible idea. <laughs> you did good. I liked it. Yeah, he's he's a pretty good songwriter. That's gonna do it for episode number eighty-three, right?
0: Eighty-three. Yep. Thank y'all so Take much, care, everybody, and
1: thanks for all the uh, likes and shares, likes and shares. We will see y'all next episode.
0: That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked.